I want to talk to us this week about the power of our words. Do you ever, we say a lot of words in a day, right? Do you ever think that much about the words we say? There was a, the 30th president of the United States, his name was Calvin Coolidge, and there's a picture of him, very somber man. Um, but uh, anyways, he was notorious for being a very um, quiet person. He would rarely ever talk. You know, sometimes in meetings, and he's the president, he would rarely say a thing unless actually spoken to. He himself said, he said, you know, if you don't say anything, you won't be called on to repeat it. <laughs> or he said something else. He said, I've never been hurt by what I have not said. And there's a story about this guy that one day he was at a, a dinner party and this one lady who was there before, knowing that he was so quiet, he had this nickname, Silent Cow. That's how quiet he was. And she bet with a friend. She's like, I bet I can make the president say more than five words tonight. And so she goes, you know, feeling very confident in her conversation abilities. She goes to this dinner party and she's seated with the president and she, you know, feeling very good about herself. She says, you know, this may seem a little forward, but I just want you to know, I, I made a bet tonight that I could get you to say more than five words. Do you know what his response was, apparently? Just, just look at his face and he would say, you lose. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> We say an awful lot of words. Probably, most of us probably say more than this guy ever did. But I was looking at how many words in a day do we actually say? And of course, it varies depending on your personality, what you work at. But anywhere from like 7,000 to 20,000 words. If you just took 10,000 as a round number and multiplied it by 365, it'd be like 3.6 million words in a year. Words are a big part of our lives. Have you ever heard that saying, and I have a picture of it up here, loose lips sink ships, right? This is from the World War II, and the whole idea is be careful who you say things to because you never know if the enemy is listening. And this actually happened, um, I know a story not from World War II, but from the War of 1812. Anyone ever heard of the name Laura Secord? You probably are thinking chocolate, right, right now? And the real Laura Secord had nothing to do with chocolate, but she was a real person. She lived in what is now southern Ontario. And during the War of 1812, the Americans um, captured parts of southern Ontario. They were occupying it. And Laura Secord lived in that area where the Americans were occupying. And Laura Secord just happened to overhear an American soldier Talk about plans of the Americans having a surprise attack on this fort called Beaver Dams some 20 miles away. She heard, just happened to hear someone over, like she overheard them talking about these secret plans, just in casual. And as a good, loyal British subject she was, she decided to risk her life um, to go through the backwoods, through the swamps, for like 20 miles. I don't know the last time you've walked 20 miles in one day. Anyone? It's been a while, probably. <laughs> she walked 20 miles through rough terrain and gets to the British fort and warns the commander. And so the Americans start attacking, thinking it's a surprise, but of course the British are waiting for them and they foil the whole thing. And I think of it all because some person let some words spill out that maybe they shouldn't have 
someone had loose lips and they ended up sinking, not ships, but sinking a whole military plan. Our words are important. Today we're in a new series and we're calling it, and it's not original with us, this is a common phrase, but words create worlds. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that often in life, whatever our strongest thoughts are, the words that we think about, the things spoken over us, the strongest ones, often they affect our perception of reality, for better or for worse. You've heard that saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You've heard that before. It's the same principle that our words, especially, and words other people have spoken over us, they affect us in deep ways. They can affect us for good or they can affect us for bad. Unfortunately, for all the good that, let's say, social media is, all the good it does in connecting us, um, I've found that social media is not a great place to have good conversations, right? (laughs) It's not a great place to do it. I find that often on social media, if you look through comments, you'll see, you know, it'll start with, oh, I disagree with you. And then the next comment's like, you're a horrible person. (laughs) The world would be better if you didn't exist, right? It's just like, it's, the internet's a bad place to, um, to say things because I think we wouldn't say so much if we had to look the person in the eye and say it right to their face. We've seen it time and time again on the internet where words can be very destructive. Words can hurt. I remember my grandmother, she's passed away, Grandma Tizik, and she told me how as a teenager or somewhere in there, I don't know if this was once or if it was many times, but she told me how her dad once told her, and he said, don't you think you're anything special? And I don't, I wasn't there. I didn't hear the tone. I, I don't know if he was just trying to keep her humble, but with my grandma's personality, she didn't need to be dropped down a few pegs. She probably needed to be built up a few. And I'm very certain because of those words and some other things that happened in her life, like she struggled with self-esteem and self-worth all of her days. Because someone said the words, don't think you are anything special. Words can hurt. But on the flip side, I want to talk about how words can build up like few things can. You know, have you ever had someone that, that really meant a lot to you and they said something like, I believe in you? You know, if you, if you hear those words from the right person, a person you really admire and respect, that can be like water on a parched plant in your heart. When someone says, I believe in you. There was a a poet in the 19th century in America. His name was Walt Whitman. And he wrote, wrote, one of the poems he wrote was, Oh, Captain, My Captain. I don't know if you know it, but the only reason I know it is because it was in the Dead Poet Society with uh, Robin Williams. And anyways, years ago, Walt Whitman, he was published this book of poems that he wrote, but he couldn't get any traction. He couldn't sell any books. It was looking like he wasn't going to be famous. He would just be, you know, a hobbyist at writing poems. And he was very discouraged. And then one day, he got a note in the mail. And it said this. It said, Dear Sir, I'm not blind to the worth of the wonderful gift of Leaves in the Grass, which is what his poems were called. He said, I find it the most extraordinary 
piece of wit and wisdom that an American has yet contributed. I greet you at the beginning of a great career. That's a pretty good compliment, right? What made it even greater for Walt Whitman was who signed it. And at that time, you may not know his name, but at that time, this guy was a very famous man. It was none other than the philosopher, writer, and poet himself, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who wrote those words to him. We know he kept that note because we're reading it now, right? Words can do a whole lot. And today I want to look at Proverbs in a few places, and I just want to read the first one in Proverbs 18.21. It says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you reap what you sow. If you, re- if you sow words of life, you'll probably get life back. If you sow death, you'll probably get death back. I don't know. It seems like, and I, I don't want to overuse this word. Maybe it's a cliche now because it said so much. But would you agree that we live in polarized times? You know, (laughs) thanks for the optimism. (laughs) You know, it just seems like you got to be on one side or you got to be on the other side. Like it's just, there's no option three, four, five. It's one or the other. And if you're on one side, you don't like those guys on the other side. They're stupid. They don't know what they're thinking. And then the other side, it's the same, just looking back. And it's like back and forth. You got to be on one side or the other side. And yet I want to suggest today that Jesus... Jesus takes a different, a middle path, if you will. There is another way. I think of Jesus' life, and you know, Jesus intermingled with many different types of people, all different beliefs and classes, and at some points, certain groups wanted to claim Jesus as their own, like, there's my guy, he's with us, and yet Jesus was never totally with anyone. He was in a camp of his own. I think of there was something in ancient days called zealots, and these were like freedom fighters. Like um, they were willing, they were wanting to get rid of the Roman oppression, and they were willing to use force, violence, terrorism, assassinations, whatever, whatever it took, so that the Jewish state could be its its own again. And sometimes people would think, "Oh, Jesus, he's he's the new leader. He's coming to restore the kingdom to Israel." And yet Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. He took a a middle road. I think of the Pharisees. You know, we give the Pharisees a hard time because, I don't know, they're mentioned a lot in Scripture. But you know, Pharisees and Jesus, from a belief standpoint, were very close. Um, Their beliefs on Scripture, on God, on afterlife, they were almost the same. And in fact, Jesus, when talking with another group called the Sadducees, he said, basically, uh, the Pharisees are right and you guys are wrong. And yet, Jesus didn't always side with the Pharisees. We know that there are many times when he's very critical of them because of their legalism and following all these man-made rules that they'd come up with. I think of another group of people Jesus hung out with, and that was what the Bible calls sinful people. You know, people that have, uh, weren't living the most moral, upright life, and Jesus goes and hangs out with them. He eats with them. And in those cultures, if you ate with someone, it was like you saying, like, You know, I accept them. They're part of my group. And yet Jesus never, never um, condones their actions. In fact, in some places, I think of Zacchaeus and others, 
him being with them actually causes them to repent and say, God, I'm going to give back everything I stole. I want to make it right. Jesus takes a middle way, and yet in all those groups, he loved them all. He loved them all. He wanted them to experience God's best for them, which was you know, faith in God through, through Jesus, the Messiah. As believers today, we are to do the same, to, to, to be like Jesus, to walk that middle path. The great C.S. Lewis, he once summed up what Christianity was at its root in mere Christianity. He wrote this, He says, now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men and women the kind of life he has. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing, nothing else. To become a little Christ, that is why we're here. That is what Jesus died for so that we could be free and live like that. You know, words have such power. Just by the word of God, the worlds were created. Psalm 33 says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. I think of Jesus at a word. He would heal people. At the word, demons had to flee. There's power in our words this morning. So how can we walk in the way of Jesus today when it comes to our words? Well, I want to suggest this. Let's use our words to create a world of blessing. A world of blessing. You know, in an age, in a day where, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff, we get the privilege. We get the privilege to be able to speak life into people, to speak the truth of God into people, to bless them, to encourage them. We get the privilege to do that this morning. And you know the best thing about it is there's no cost, very little cost. You don't need uh, to be smart. You don't need to have a certain spiritual gifting set. You just need a little bit of compassion and love to be willing to take the time and just maybe encourage someone that you're passing through as you're passing by in their life. Blessing. (laughs) God bless you, yes. (laughs) That worked well. (laughs) Oh, did you know blessing? Oftentimes when we talk about blessing, we just think, Oh, it means like a compliment or doing something nice for someone. But you know, in Bible times, blessing was a little bit, it was more than that. Blessing was big, especially in the Old Testament. Like, blessing carried spiritual, like, power in it. It wasn't just words. It was like you were prophesying in a way, and actual things would come about because of what you said. One of the best examples I can think of is, when Isaac was about to die and he was blind, he was old, he did what was customary, what was, he was going to give the blessing to his firstborn son, Esau. But this blessing was so coveted by his brother Jacob that Jacob was willing to be deceitful, to go behind his dad and his brother's back, and to pretend that he was Esau and steal the blessing for himself. And these are the words that he wanted for himself. This is what he stole. It says this in Genesis 27. From the dew of heaven and the richest richness of the earth, 
May God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. Esau was willing to kill his brother for stealing that blessing from him. Those weren't just words in the Hebraic mindset. Those were like, God's power and anointing were on those words. And I want to say this, that let's think about blessing this way. When we bless others, we direct God's goodness upon them. When we bless others, we direct God's goodness upon them. You know, it's a great thing to encourage people and to say a good word. But we can do so much more. We can... I would encourage you, next time you're thinking of maybe you see someone who looks a little down and you're wondering how you can encourage them to just say like a quick prayer and say, God, what would, what would you like? What words do you have to say over this person? Because a word from God in a timely moment can change everything. Proverbs 12.25 says, Worry Weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. How can we bless others this morning with our words? Well, I have a couple thoughts on how we can bless others, and the number one is we can bless those who we rub shoulders with. You know what rubbing shoulders with? It just means like whoever's in your, in your sphere, in your life, Right? Think of, could you sit down and actually think of the number of people we interact with in a given week? Like, of course, we have our family, we have our friends, we have our coworkers, but like, we also have farther afield people, things like our cashiers and who knows who else we're interacting with, people we pass on the street and they say hello. We have a lot of people that we interact with. And every time we interact with someone, we have an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to speak life, to bless someone in some way. The great leadership guru, John Maxwell, he always says, he's like, whenever I talk with someone, I always want to be adding value to them. I want to be contributing. I want them to walk away feeling better than when I found them. It's funny, I was talking about the negatives of social media, but on the positive note, uh, Melissa was telling me a couple days ago how she was on Facebook and there's an Annapolis Valley group and someone posted where they were at the Valley Regional Hospital in the waiting room along with who knows how many other people sitting there for who knows how many hours and all of a sudden there was one guy in the waiting room and he goes up to like the vending machine, he gets out some different snacks, he gets out some water and juice and he just starts going around to the people in the waiting room asking if they would like something. And this lady, she, you know, didn't know who he was and she was just commenting and just wanted to say thank you. You know, something so small, which would only cost, a, you know, a few dollars. Something so small and yet in that room, it had a tangible effect because that person was, you know, blessing those who they were rubbing shoulders with people he didn't even know. Bless those who, rub, who you rub shoulders with. Now, number two, I got to admit, Number two is a lot harder, <laughs> and you're going to see why. <laughs> Number two, bless those 
you don't like. Oh, do I have to? Really? You know those people, maybe you don't like them, maybe, maybe they annoy you, maybe you, when you see them, you, you know, pretend you're talking to someone else, you just don't want to get involved. And yet, Jesus says, we're to bless them too. We're to love them as well. And if you don't believe me, in Matthew 5, in uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says a few verses, he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives a sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do it that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Honest question right now. Do we, like, love our enemies or to be more tangible, because love can be just whatever if we don't put practice to it, if we don't make it an action, but do you, do you pray for your enemies? There's an action item. Do we do that? Because Jesus is telling us to be different. He's like, if you just live like everyone else, what does that say about Jesus? If, if you come to the Lord just to be the same as you were before, then what is the point altogether? If he doesn't come and change us today. You know, we get to love because we have been loved first. We get to forgive people even when they don't forgive us because we have been forgiven. We get to bless people because we have been blessed. Even if they don't reciprocate it, we get to do it because of what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, one of the ways that we can bless those we don't like is if we ever have to have a conversation, especially difficult conversations, we can respond with gentle answers, right? There's a verse that says in Proverbs 15, it says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And if we are in this polarized world, it's so easy when people just start yelling at each other and vilifying the other person. God's way is a different approach, and that is when people, you know, talk smack about you, you don't talk smack about them back. I know, it's like part of our, it's inside, we want to do it so badly. But yet, it is to respond with a soft answer, because I believe, like, when we do that, not only are we honoring God, but good things come out of acting in that way. I have to admit, um, I'm probably just like all of you. When, when, I, when I'm talking with someone that I really disagree with on a subject I really care about, like inside of me just turns to knots. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like you feel attacked. You're getting ready to fight and you want to, you know, you want to smack them down in some way. Preferably not physically, but... <laughs> um, and I've had to look in my life and say, that's not of God. They may disagree with me, but they may be, I may be fully convinced they're wrong, but that's not Jesus' way. And I've been trying to listen, for instance, to podcasts and stuff of other voices that I don't agree with 
just to try to, it gets me stirred up inside, but just to try to get me to work through this and realize, hey, it's okay if someone disagrees with me. It doesn't affect who God is. It doesn't affect that I'm his, his son. And I've been trying to force myself when I talk with people that I disagree with to ask questions, like actual curious questions. Like, so how did you come to this belief? Or, you know, what, what do you believe? And in doing so, I'm seeking to understand. Because when you seek to understand where someone's point of view is, it makes them feel heard. And I really believe that in this, in this day and age where everyone's just calling everyone names across the hall, you know, that camp is this, mischaracterizations on both sides. If people felt heard, I feel that something would be much more constructive when it comes to having dialogues. We need to be grace-filled. And we can only do that because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Um, in Victorian England, there were two famous pastors in London at the time. One of them you might know, the other you probably don't. They both had big churches. One of them was Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of him. The other guy was this name, Joseph Parker. And at times, they got along and were friends. At times, they butt heads a bit. And one day, um, Charles Spurgeon also, in his ministry, he he founded a whole lot of orphanages because this is the height of the Industrial Revolution. Like there's orphans living on the streets, rags for clothes, no food. And so Spurgeon felt that we need to at least do something better than that. We can't just leave them there. And so he built orphanages which were at least better than what they were living in. And the story goes is that one day, Joseph Parker was talking with some friends and he was saying, you know, the condition those kids come to Spurgeon's orphanages is just deplorable, like the conditions he finds them in. They, you know, they have rags for clothes, they're skin and bone. And he said, you know, what we could at least do in our church is maybe help Spurgeon and his orphanages financially or we could provide some food. Sounds great. Someone listening in that group, I don't know if this was intentional or just they misheard, but they heard something entirely different and they run back to Spurgeon and say, did you know that Mr. Parker believes that like your orphanages are not running very well? In fact, he says that the kids in your orphanages, you know, have no clothes and they're, they're um, hungry, you're not feeding them right. And of course, if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, he's a very fiery man, and sometimes the negative side of that is like temper as well, right? And apparently, uh, that just was like a knife in the heart for Charles Spurgeon, that this guy would have the gall to criticize him and his orphanages. orphanages. And so he decides, next Sunday morning, in front of thousands of people in his church, he was going to basically talk smack about this Parker fellow. And that's what he did. And the thing of it was, in that church, because he was so famous, there were always at least two reporters in the church, newspapers, and they would write his sermon down word for word, publish it in the newspaper, and all of a sudden, this is going all around London. Just think today, you know when some controversial, very famous figure makes a tweet and everyone goes awry and just like shakes things up? This is kind of that drama from the Victorian days. And 
Someone runs to, to this Parker guy and says, do you read this, what they're saying about you? Are you going to respond? And Joseph Parker says, yeah, I'm going to respond uh, this coming Sunday because no internet. We can't just tweet right now, so you've got to wait till the next Sunday. So I'm going to respond this Sunday coming. And so this word gets out and and everyone's going to Parker's church this Sunday, you know, like before the doors open, a couple hundred people are waiting. They want to hear what he's going to say to this slander in a way. Everyone gets into church and, you know, I can't imagine the worship time was very good. <laughs> they finally get where Parker stands up in the pulpit and he, he starts to say something and he says, he says, I understand that this week in, in Charles Spurgeon's church, this is the week they take up a collection for the orphanages. And he said, I want to suggest today that we as a church take up a collection for them as well. And he says, for Spurgeon is doing a great work with the orphanages and I know you want to be a part of it. And so they send the offering plate around and people were just taken back. It's kind of back to that, that proverb a gentle answer deflects anger. And people were so moved by that. It says they collected this offering and it was like they had to empty the offering plates three times. <laughs> it was just running over with money. And they take that money and they drop it off on Spurgeon's desk. Tuesday morning rolls around and guess who should be knocking at Parker's office but Charles Spurgeon himself. And this is what he says to Parker. He says... You have more of the spirit of Jesus Christ than any man I know. You know, Parker, you practice grace on me. You've given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. And that's grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I want us to ask this question are my words blessing people or are they putting people down? You know, some of us are not as optimistic as we would like to be or not as encouraging as we would like to be. And I, even I realize that in my life, this message is for me today because I'm not always the most encouraging of a person with those that I love the most. And if you were like me in that way, maybe a challenge this morning is even thinking of making a new habit of encouraging, speaking a word of blessing like once a day, like just determine, today I'm going to bless someone, I'm going to encourage someone, I'm going to speak life into them. Maybe you're wondering today if you're wanting to say some words to someone, you're wondering if you really should. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting acronym up there, it's called THINK. And it says, before you say something, think, and which is this. Ask yourself these five questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? You know, often our words, they're like a sledgehammer, you know? Sometimes we don't even realize, and we're just swinging around and breaking stuff, and as a result, it messes up a lot of relationships. We've got to do a lot of mending we can bless people with our words this morning. And I want to encourage us all, let's, let's be different than what's expected. When someone, you know, when someone 
says something mean to you and they expect you to, to jump back on them, let's be something different. Let's, let's show Jesus. And what a great way with Love Atlantic this week and just blessing people with simple things. Let's show Jesus and let's bring, let's bring glory to God through it all. Let's pray. Father, we need to say we're sorry, Lord, because there have been so many times we have not spoken words of blessing. Even when hard truth has to be talked about, which sometimes it does, sometimes we don't do it in, the, in probably the most God-like kind of way. And God, we're just asking you, would you forgive us of those times where we haven't met the mark, where people have actually felt more discouraged from things we said, maybe things we don't even remember saying. Lord, would you help us to be mindful of the power of our words and allow us to be a blessing through them, to use them for your good and your glory, to speak life into someone maybe that is really down and just needs, needs a word from the Lord today. Thank you, Lord, for for speaking to us. May we put something into practice today and not just carry on carrying on, but to say, God, I want to take a step forward closer to you, to be more Christ-like, to be more filled with Jesus today. Would you help us to do that this morning? And also today, as we're getting ready to eat in a few moments, I just pray for this time of fellowship and connection, and I just pray blessing over the food Father, in Jesus' name, that uh, even after the service, you are still present in our relationships, in our conversations, and we still ask you to be, to be ministering, to be working, even, even outside as we're, as we're stuffing our face with hamburgers and hot dogs. We just thank you for this time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.